0: Hello, and thank you for listening to this episode of the Billy Newman Photo Podcast. My name is Billy Newman, and I'm here today with my guest, Marina Hansen. How are you doing, Marina?
1: Hey, Billy. I'm doing well.
0: Thanks for doing another podcast with me. We just finished up our rolls of film.
1: Yeah. And our cameras. Finally. It took yeah, me too long this round. It's been a little
0: too long for me too. shoot.
1: Thanks for going on uh, a walk through campus. We, uh, we went yeah. through uh, U of O's campus here in Eugene finished out our rolls with some nice little uh, flowers around campus.
0: Yeah, it was really nice. Here, like, having spring finally, like, coming in a little bit more has been really cool. Yeah. And, like, seeing a few of the flowers that have already started to bloom out there has been cool. So, yeah, we're just trying to work on a little project right now. I don't know if it's really even a project. It's just maybe, like, a a discipline or just something to do, I guess. But we're going to take our camera, you know, fill like, put a, a fresh roll of film in it and then go out and, like, photograph just like a roll's worth of film of of flowers that are out there like little close-ups or just like pick out like different different tulips and different daisies and then different whatever else is out right now
1: pretty fun film time photo project
0: yeah i think it would work out okay it worked out okay today i was happy to um, have the the nikon with me so yeah I've, i think i've been working on that film roll for like a couple of weeks now i think it's stuff from like smith rock a couple of weeks back Oh, wow, stuff yeah. in between then some some driving stuff that uh, that i did with dave a little while ago i think there's some of that in there so that'll be really cool i'm happy to see it
1: yeah i'm fun. really excited to see it too
0: there's I... a few of them oh sorry go ahead marina oh no sorry. well i was gonna say there's a few of the pictures that we took tonight that were kind of like what, what we've been trying to do or what i talked about a little bit before it's like uh like when you're working with a film camera it's tough because you want to be like really reserved with the amount of frames that you expose with right. the amount of you know the amount of pictures of the same thing that you take it's a lot more well as you know if you're not shooting sports and you need like a lot of frames it's great with the f4 i think you can do like four or five frames a second if you want to which would be fantastic if i had a photograph something like that that was really timing sensitive you know of, of what moment was picked so True. that's a cool way and it's a really effective way to get those kind of shots and that's why I, these were used for like production and you know like real professional production like when they were designed now when i only shoot like one frame at a time and the film is a little bit more expensive for me to like go through and process i'm pretty sparing with it a lot of the time but that kind of gets me into deep water too because you don't end up taking multiple pictures of the same thing or you don't get any backups if, if the first one didn't turn out quite right
1: yeah
0: oops you just don't get that whole thing
1: yeah you just don't get to have that photo yeah tough thing about film
0: yeah, it's not that forgiving, but, um, but I mean, you, you can make redundancy still. I mean, that's what people used to do all the time. Like I'd hear, I hear like the big thing was, is, um, is bracketing, which is something that you and I really never have to deal with. I guess kind of coming from the digital age, you know, we, we come in, uh, do you use your bracketing features much?
1: Not really, no.
0: I've never used my bracketing features. And I guess it's because we're kind of manually bracketing, which is probably, I mean, that's what they did anyway in the past. But the the bracketing features were, were what they really depended on because now being, you know, a younger person who kind of came into photography after 2005, when everything was already predominantly digital. And what I first picked up was like a digital camera. You know, I just, I you'd see the exposure on the back of the camera and then you would you know, retake it or you'd recompose it to try and push it and make it a little bit better. And I think that's a huge reason why now, 10 years later, we have so many really good photographers. Like I've been on 500 PX a lot, tons of really good photos from everybody pretty much all over, you know? So there's a lot of people that have started figuring out how to get nice photos, how to refine their stuff, how to be better artists. And that's all really cool. And so, when I'm shooting like with the F4, I want to try and like take more photos, you know, because I was used to that in the past. And what you know, what you do is you take the picture, oh, it came out too bright. You kind of like change some settings and stuff and move around. With film, you don't really have that understanding. Yeah, if, you can't. If you got see it right,
1: that it was overexposed or underexposed.
0: Yeah. And so what I would hear is like with the journalists in like the 60s, 70s, 80s, their, their whole practice was this practice of bracketing where they would set it up so that. To make sure that when they got back they had something from that event that they could edit they would bracket bracket like hell i think it was like their little <laughs> their little photographer mantra that's cute to get good photos yeah um but the, yeah you bracket like hell so you get you get a picture of the scene at, at like every exposure setting that in the range that you could shoot in you know mm-hmm. um so you shoot like wide open you'd shoot at like F, f5 and f8 or something like that just if, if you needed like the with it, sure. whatever on the side of it or at five hundredth of a second and a hundredth of a second and you know, whatever kind of changes you'd have to, to make to your exposure to get the right thing, but just a little bit lighter and a little bit darker than that. So you'd have a few options. So you, you could like pick out whatever exposure worked best when you got back to the dark room. And that's because they couldn't ever really see what was going on. Most professionals and most metering systems now make most of that work irrelevant or or just already taken care of by the, by the color matrix metering stuff that everybody has in their digital cameras. Now that no one has to worry about that back when it was all manual focus, you know, you're just trying to line up the prism until everything (laughs) kind of matched up. And that's when you'd know it'd be in focus, but you could only know it was in focus. You wouldn't really even know if you had the the right exposure or if there was going to be like some side light that was going to just kind of blow out a whole section. So that's how they kind of back them or, you know, double make sure that they had a backup and that yeah. their photographs, their exposures would be safe. So with that same mindset, I'm trying to do that with the film camera. I'm trying to do a little bit more of that while I'm shooting is, is get a little bit out of my shell of like only taking one or two pictures of a thing, even if I like it, you mm-hmm. know? <laughs> and so I'm trying to, like tonight with those flower, or like with a, one of the flower beds that we were photographing, I was trying a couple different exposures. One of them like F1.8 and then dropping down because what I'm worried about with this one is that I'm shooting uh, too wide open of an aperture, so that everything's going to be blurry in the photo. Uh, right. And so what I want to have when I develop it is a couple other options that are sort of the really blurry, and then kind of the mid blurry. If it ended up being too much bouquet, I guess is what I should say, not blurry. Yeah. But with one flower in focus, and then almost everything blown out or in bouquet in the background. Mm-hmm. Or then another one at like F, I think, 5.6, which might be a little bit in between, and so it might have a little bit better texture and the other flowers in the bed around it so that they're not too diffused and kind of disappeared.
1: Yeah. Which happen. I've seen happen
0: in my photos, yeah. Or like another one, I think it's like an F8 to get more of a, a, a thicker depth of field so that we'd have more of the flower bed in focus. Maybe that'd be interesting to, to look at too. But I don't do much photography at like f8 to f16 or f22 i don't do much with the the aperture closed down you know
1: yeah i really don't think i do as much either it's not for the kinds of photos it's been a lot
0: of my style to have that kind of wide open look all all the time i like it which i which i like too but i want to get better especially in like the landscape stuff that i do at being a little bit more clever about how I use my aperture because I think a lot of the time I get a little sloppy with it like there's there's a there's these other considerations you're supposed to make with your aperture like um like they'll say a lens is its sharpest at f8 like oh, okay. that, it doesn't really make sense but it's one of those things where as like if it's wide open the lens isn't acting as sharp i think it's it's just some kind of physical effect of the glass being wide and there being lensing and there being like extra light All that right. gets brought in and whatever it is or whatever kind of ratio the lenses are at it makes them just a little bit less sharp or a little bit less crisp like this like this tamron lens that i'm tapping yeah. on, it's, <laughs> on tamron lens. it's always it's always soft yes
1: it's it not is. it's not
0: even just the focus it's just that it lacks sharpness and so that's one of the things that photographers are really trying to reach for is this uh sharp tack sharp optical quality i don't know if i've ever had it and didn't know it or I don't know when I haven't had it because it seems like it's just worked out pretty well most of the time there's photos that I get that aren't sharp which disappoints me but most of the time it's never really come up as a problem
1: seems like it works out pretty well a lot of the time
0: yeah it's a lot better now than it used to be because I think really the, the machining of the lenses and the technology into the autofocus and all the systems that we have for our lens making technology now is, is light years. It's just way ahead of all the manual focus stuff that we had before. These manual focus lenses, it really, uh, the optical quality could really be great, but they were more difficult to get to work right, I think. And then a lot of the lenses like this cheaper, uh, like 50 millimeter 1.8, I think is one of the best lenses that they say like Nikon ever made, which is really cool, it's great. But there are times, especially like at F 1.8, now that it's 40 years old almost, it's not <laughs> sharp. It's not sharp at F 1.8. So what you do is you'd ratchet down if you wanna get Christmas and like a landscape, and it doesn't really matter so much that you shoot at one point eight. you really want everything in focus then you could get a little bit more more sharpness out of it. Not more focus, but just more crispness of the, the glass pieces themselves, like right. keeping everything straight optically. If you ratchet it up to like F8 or F10 or F16, somewhere in there.
1: That's interesting to know.
0: Yeah, they say it's the sweet spot in a lens. They'll talk about this. I think this is a lot of talk from pixel peepers, like the people that just are really focused on sharpness and tack sharp, but they've never really made a cool photograph. Or maybe they have, but their their focus is all about this, the sharp quality, which I think in in our photographs is maybe the last element on the list of aesthetics that I'm really trying to like make sure in the in the photograph. Like you know, is it is it colorful? Is it cool? Does it have a cool composition? Or is there some meaning? Yeah. (laughs) In what's going on in the picture? But there are photos that, man, I really wish we had sharper copies of. Like there's some of my favorite pictures and you go, Oh no, it's just the one that didn't didn't work. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Or it's just a little too soft to really look.
0: Well, there's those that they're like in focus. That's what drives me crazy with this Tamron lens. It is in in focus, focus, but but it it looks bad. Yeah. All the edges are weak and sort of a blur into each other. And that's not even so much focus. It's just, it's not sharp. It can't get focused. Like it's always just sort of like Vaseline rubbed over the lens <laughs> or something. So I don't know. It makes it it makes it a little tough. But for a lot of the stuff that we've done, you know, our shooting wide open, is, it ends up kind of being part of the style of photographs so we make a lot with a lot of bouquet and a lot of light or a lot of highlights. And I really like that style of photography too. I like what you yeah. what you get out of it. We've been talking a lot about like rolling over our equipment you know it's still like fun fun talk because we probably haven't done it yet you know we still have all the same junk we've had for the last 10 years but we're talking about kind of rolling over our equipment you know and like getting getting some new lenses or like you know like picking out what's the kit that you'd really want to have
1: yeah
0: shoot i mean i I have this d2h here that's like a more than a decade old camera now this is 2003 2004 era camera i think even by 2006 they had the d2x out so that's a 10 year old camera and then coming up soon i think it's like i think it's 2008 is when the the d3 was announced that was the first uh, full frame digital camera professional line digital camera that, that nikon had put out and i think that that's what i want to try and jump to next so for a long time Cause like I've been watching like the use prices for years and anything full frame, anybody out there that watches like the KEH or the eBay list prices for camera bodies and lenses over time, like kind of can see like the depreciation rate that they're at. So I think like, um, the I think like the when when this camera came out, I think it was $4,000 or $5,000. It might've just been like the, like, like Four thousand nine hundred ninety-nine dollars, sort of a price tag. Now the D five just got announced, and that's like a fifty-five or could be even sixty-five hundred-dollar camera. Oh
1: man,
0: brand new, yeah, it's really expensive now. Four K does
1: it's more than my car. (laughs) (laughs) It's more than my car. Uh, Yeah. That's just the body too. Yeah, oh, just
0: man. the body. Not even the big glass, which is which is crazy. So yeah, I'm gonna stay away from that. I think I uh, I was interested in the D4, but I'm I'm pretty happy with uh, with anything I get. Shoot, like I'm saying, I'm working with like a D2H that has a broken autofocus <laughs> controller. <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, but yeah, so I think I bought this camera. That was like it was. This is a crop sensor camera, the D2H is. And so all the crop sensor cameras depreciated in value a lot faster than the full frame cameras did. There's a lot on like the Nikon or excuse me, the Nikon side. Yes. All those full frame cameras like the D700 and the D3 and now the D800, they've all retained their value really highly. And then on the Canon side, there's like the 5D, the 5D Mark II, the like 1DS line of cameras that were all full frame. And all of those have held their value really high. And so for a long time, like when I was in college looking around, those were all still more than $2,000. It was like a $2,500 to $3,500 price range for most of the professional body, the professional line bodies that were out there and like the used market, like whatever was like a few years old. And so that's where like, that's why I decided to get the D2H. I don't think I could afford the D2X when I was, I was looking around. Which I say, probably should have reached for. I think it was like three hundred dollars more at the time. It would have uh, pushed me from four point five to twelve point two or something. Twelve point two megapixels on a crop sensor it would have been better for me. But said
1: when you're in college, oh, and don't have so the broke. Few, yeah, extra dollars. I more. know.
0: I know. Um, yeah, I remember being, uh, just super poor, but I've used this camera for years and years now. And, uh, so I think it'd be great. I want to switch it out, but I want to keep this one. I'm sentimental. I want to try and sell my gear off. But really when I looked it up, this is the other thing is like the, the buying and selling prices when we were looking around on like KEH and other sell, you know, th- like it's probably a bottom dollar offer, but KEH will buy back your equipment, you know, to, to, stock its own stores in a way and to kind of try and get a good deal on equipment but when I put in my D2H in there I don't even think I said what was kind of broken about it. I just said it worked pretty well. Uh, <laughs> it said it's worth $23. 23
1: uh, whole dollars. 23 bucks
0: right there Marina. Wow. So I figure if uh, if that's the trade off then I'm probably going to keep the camera because it yes. uh, still works and means a lot more than, than a, yeah, a 20
1: A lot greater sentimental value. 23
0: yeah. bucks yeah that's the first like real <laughs> camera that nor you know the camera that i really got into photography with we did those trips together with a lot of work that we did over the last few years so
1: i shot my first wedding on that camera too actually oh, wow you know,
0: that's pretty cool i'm
1: thinking about it yeah a couple of years ago
0: that is really cool mm-hmm. so so i guess that like we, the d2h was all crop sensor and mm-hmm. i remember what i really wanted to get into was full frame And so that's why I started shooting film first, really. That was like a big reason because that was the cheapest way I could get a full frame use of my lens and use of my photographs and to see kind of what that was like, but it was still way different than digital full frame photography, which I've still never really practiced or never really had equipment for, you know? Um, but that's why I like, yeah, started shooting with film. That's why I got, or was started using, Uh, That Nikon n 80 a lot to shoot a lot of things and it was really cool having a more advanced film camera with autofocus and with a few of the other features and Just making it more consistent and more professional so you get those tighter negatives when you shot it and I've definitely noticed a a Difference between film camera to film camera to film camera. I really like shooting with the the f4. It has a lot of weird uh, aberrations in it, I'd say like there's like a purple line that kind of shows up at the top, oh, yeah. like this purple fade that, that happens a lot. There's a lot of little parts to it that are kind of silly and sort of antiquated now, seeing that it's like a 30-year-old design, 30-year-old camera. Um, but I really have a lot of fun shooting with it, and it works really well. I don't think it's worth much either, maybe like 150 bucks or so, which is about what I bought it for uh, when I bought the, bat, uh, the body a few years ago, or last year, maybe. Yeah. But I still want to get an F5 too. That's so that's yeah. so that's like the kit that I want to get. It's like an F5 film camera. So we have like digital color matrix metering for all of our lenses, like because it can run better with all the modern lenses. This one, really cool. the F4, still requires a manual aperture ring to have aperture control on your lens. Oh, right. Yeah. Because it doesn't have the the knobs, the roller knobs at like the, the the back of your thumb or the front there, Yeah, like the D2H or like we'd be used to with the the modern SLRs. And so the 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 F5 has that you don't have to control the aperture, um, from the lens itself anymore. And now you control it from the camera body digitally, which would be cool cool. because that means that we can invest in better, newer lenses, uh, that are out there that will work better. Um, for like full frame use, I guess. So like we have, I guess, what is it? I have like a couple DX lenses, like for the crop sensors, like when I first got my, my camera, but those are all real cheap. We're going to want to replace those anyway. Those are real inexpensive lenses, but like the, I guess, yeah, the 28, that's a great lens for, uh, for film and for um, for a full frame sensor if we're able to get a couple D3s. That'll be great. So yeah, D3 and an, an F5. And just shoot full frame as much as we can. I was trying to debate this for a while too, because you could go like with the d D3S or a D4 and pick up the ability to shoot and record video from a right. DSLR. I really want that. I'm enticed by it. It sounds cool, but I've never really produced video for a job yeah. that I got paid for. And we have some tools that can shoot like other DSLRs that shoot video. That we could hook up and you know and kind of fill that that purpose for. So I guess if I was thinking, I'm trying to be sort of a strict photographer. I'm trying to learn about photography more and get better and you know get more more of a career or more of a you know an interest and focus built just in good photography. I was trying to streamline that. What's the other? What's the unnecessary costs in right. the camera purchasing that I can pick up? I think maybe it's just going to be a D three that's in really good shape. From two thousand eight nine ten production era, or maybe I mean I'm hoping recent more recently I think it was like produced pretty consistently through maybe like 2013. I think is when the d4 came out. It was really quite a long time later and uh, the only there' was really only a few small advancements from that. Or between those two cameras some significant ones but you know not a yeah. not a huge amount the the d2x to the d3 that was a huge leap that was you know from crop sensor to full frame sensor and from you know just a huge increase in autofocus ability computerization stuff low light sensors that's the thing that's really big is um just being able to drop like you're like you know with the d7000 that you shoot with you can drop the iso out to like 6400 and right. take photographs in almost dusk or you know just like kind of city urban areas at night you can just kind of take regularly um or you know just regular photographs at i don't know 10 20 30th of a second and get pretty good photographs like handheld which is cool and yeah
1: that's great
0: like way better long exposure photographs too because uh with the lack of noise we can do like more night photography yeah stuff like that where we can drop out to like 2400 or 3200 or 6400 iso i leave the, the shutter open for 30 seconds with a really wide angle lens and get some cool like um starry milky way photographs during the summer like going around that'd be really yeah, fun i want to try cool. and work well, on wanna, that a lot
1: i want to do more nighttime photos yeah, yeah i really especially with these <laughs> upcoming seasons stuff.
0: oh yeah definitely yeah i think it'd be really cool to push out push out like more nighttime photography and it's tough because i think you really can't there's some interesting stuff that we can do that we should do some artistic stuff but the, yeah. the thing that we really want to do with nighttime photography i think we almost have to do in digital but there's a lot of cool stuff we can do on film but the film just doesn't act well in really dark con- conditions
1: it seems like it, it seems like there is a limit
0: yeah, definitely. And there's this thing that I was learning about. It's uh, it's this effect. We've heard it in math before. It's called reciprocation. And that's like, um, shoot, I don't know how to quickly explain this. Reciprocation is this idea that um, there's sort of a ratio. So let's say it's daytime right now. And it's like a pretty normal shooting environment. And you're going to shoot in pretty well-lit shade. Uh, in the day. So you have ISO 200 speed film in your camera and you're going to take a photograph at uh, 100th of a second at, uh, I don't know, f2 or something, just some some general setting. But uh, reciprocation is this idea that that ratio of if you wanted to change exposure in that lighting condition, in that regular lighting condition, the film has this sort of range. It'll work between you know a really bright day to a pretty dim day, but after this dim point, this this exposure range that you're going to be in doesn't start to work the same way. The ratio doesn't work out the same way to set your exposure. So if it, if we were in that same place where it was kind of shady, the sun started going down, it started getting a lot darker, and I had a meter at, let's say, I had a tripod, and I had a meter, my photograph, and it was a tenth of a second. When before, it was a hundredth of a second that we were going to shoot at. It was pretty bright out. Now, it's much less than that. I only I have to leave my shutter open for uh, a tenth of a second, to get the amount of light in the camera that I need, then what's going to start to happen is that the film itself isn't going to be able to accept the light as well. That low amount of light, even for a longer period of time, there's this, this breakdown of the, of the, the little math that you do to set your exposure. So that means that you have to start setting your exposure even longer and longer than what you would kind of think that it would meter to. So it means you'd have to maybe drop down from a 10th of a second to something like, uh, an eighth or a quarter second, or maybe even a whole second, to get all of the light into the lens that you'd need to make a good exposure, which is really kind of a strange thing about film. But especially with like low ISO film, like ISO 100 or 200 speed film, it doesn't really accept those low light conditions as well, even for long exposures. So that's why sometimes when we take a long exposure, even though it seems almost the right amount of time, there's still sort of these strange effects that sort of come out of it it doesn't really take in the starlight as well it never really exposes like a milky way scene or yeah. you know a lot of the light in this in a real crisp clear way like we seem to get with a digital exposure that's 30 seconds long at night
1: right you know what i'm saying it's yeah. kind of strange yeah it seems like you could take the picture with film but it'll be blurry or it has that softness kind of like we were talking about with that one yeah it's like it has there's, that it just doesn't quite work there's
0: a softness and then there's this part where it really it's can't muddy. can't get those little lights even though it's open for a long time it just can't mm. it can't really pick that up and the problem that you face on the other side is that of that is that um, you know on the on the digital side like we're talking about with a d3 or and anything up from that you can push up to ISO 3200 6400 and now like 125 thousand or something you can push way out to these unrealistic numbers at least from the terms of the film world where really you can only get to iso 800 you know that's like the top of the line or like iso 1600 i think that's probably the highest iso that i've ever heard of but what you get with that is this really grainy film like that's what kind of changes and the the emulsion of making the film mm -hmm. is that you have like a way uh grainier piece and so i think that's why really they use it for black and white photography like black and white street photography they use iso 800 iso 1600 so they can shoot at a really fast speed still and pick up these kind of interesting life moments you know of of people kind of moving or moving quickly in the shadow in the shade or you know out on the street in darker environments and uh but it comes out with this kind of grainy look, you know? And so there's not as many tight grained films that are up at an ISO past 400, really. That's why like Kodak Ektar has that like bright, colorful look to it. It's because that's all built uh, with an ISO 100 speed film. You know, so so it's a finer grain. That's kind of what it talks about. It's a really fine grain. So you're supposed to be able to get kind of a crisper look and less of that granular look that you kind of get with uh some of those more grainy film types out there it's cool it's kind of interesting how like different films are that you can pick out we should stop by dot dotson's tomorrow when we go to drop off these two rolls of film that we finished up tonight of the flowers that we shot
1: and uh yeah when we get
0: some stuff uh developed we should check out what film stock they have up on the wall i think it'd be cool to see
1: yeah me too
0: yeah, they charge a couple extra bucks on top of uh, yeah. the uh, best price you can find on Amazon. But we'll try in and store, check them out. Right. It's fun to see it in store. Yeah, just pick up a roll of film, throw it in the camera right then, and then take off. We should go shoot some more though. I want to try yeah. and do that a few more times this spring. Is, uh, there's a few of those other public gardens that are around there. We should try and go to those and uh, just take some time, take an evening you know, where there's a lot of nice sunlight and uh, get some photographs of some of these blooming flowers that are coming out. It's really cool. Or a lot of the blossoms, so many, like, apple blossoms and cherry blossoms that are out right now.
1: Yeah, I think it'd be a lot of fun to load up the cameras with some fresh film, get some more springtime photos. There are a lot of really pretty trees right now, or a lot of fluffy flowers.
0: Yeah, there really are. The tulips are looking great, too. They're all really fresh right now. There was a few daffodils a couple weeks ago. Those sort of hit some hard times with the... uh Big wave of rain and cold that kind of came through. Yeah, I think got wiped those out. They
1: got a little frozen. <laughs> a, a little mushy. too frozen.
0: A little too frozen and mushy. Yeah. I looked at that flower bed across the street, the one that was <laughs> bright uh, that we had that picture of with all the bright young little flowers. Yeah. Nah, not anymore. Not anymore. There's, it's still, you know, the daffodils are the plants still there. It's fine, but little flowers got wiped out. So
1: poor daffodils.
0: Poor daffodils i think that's about everything i had to talk about on this episode of the podcast how about you marina
1: i think we've covered everything
0: pretty, pretty well. cool i'm gonna sit back and enjoy my juice with you that'd be cool well on behalf of marina hansen my name is billy newman i want to say thank you very much for listening to this episode of the billy newman photo podcast